Okay, we're live. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for coming on to Venture with Grace today. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to uh, see you. You too. You're a badass. Um, why don't we start with, uh, literally, I was like telling you about like me stalking you from like 10 years ago or some things like video. So like, I was like literally watching the Jason Calcans one, but I really like the Berkeley one. So I didn't know you went to Berkeley until I saw that. So, okay. So to give the audience a little bit of your backstory, um, you are one of the first, like, youngest, like, YC female founder. And after Berkeley, you back back in time when you were at Berkeley, you invited Sam Altman and, like, the Dropbox CEO and a bunch of, like, other really uh, crazy, amazing people to give talks in, like, Berkeley entrepreneurship programs. And then during that time, you kind of um, built up a network there. And then you were, when back, back okay, I want to start with, like, your, when you were in high school, you started this business and then you were also like following Justin Kahn for a day or something. Why don't we let you talk about what you did, all the crazy things you've done and then what you're working on now? Okay, yeah. I make the shittiest like a personal introduction ever. But it's anyway. Okay. No, it's totally fine. Um, yeah, well, I went to Berkeley, as you know, and I live in LA. I'm in West Hollywood at home right now. Um, that's my little... Thanks, Ken. Um, yeah, you can just leave that here. I'm just having lunch, hope you don't mind. Um, and I got my little cute doggy, Moo. Say hi, Moo. Um, hi. And um, yeah, I I run a firm called Mawe. And Mawe is my solution to not wanting to be either a operator or a um, an investor. Um, we can get into the details of that later. But uh, yeah, I started by start um being an entrepreneur when i was maybe 13 i was just building my own tiny businesses i had like an ebay business i had a server hosting and co-location business which is a very expensive high capex business to be running when you have no access to credit so i started that when i was 14 and i was clearing six figures a year net doing that um, and um and then after uh, finishing up at Berkeley, I started a company called Indonero, and Indonero uh, does finance ops software for other companies. So our customers included uh, businesses like Slack, Stripe, Pinterest, DoorDash, Instacart, um, Coinbase, um, so on and so forth. And I grew that to a few hundred people, and I realized that I was not a very good operational CEO. I just didn't have the chops to deal with all the people problems, I guess, and all the chaos that happens when you have uh, a company of that size. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to be good at the job, but I just wasn't good at the job, Grace. Like mood. Really Life. Difficult, yeah. And um you're like doing oh oh my god. I just like literally almost spelled my tea. But anyway, so I think you are really good at like um like I think like when I was listening to uh the older like vintage podcasts I feel like you know you at one point you guys were like basically you raised a million from angel investors and um you guys quickly spend it on like hot top and stuff and then you kind of started um like you kind of like reinvest like maybe a couple hundred thousand dollar of your own money into it and then like keep working on it and then like now it's been like 13 years and it's still like bootstraps and making 
like actual money, which what what I thought was like, I feel like you are a pretty good CEO to like make it this far to like make it like a billion dollar business by all doing it like bootstrap and everything. Well, I didn't really bootstrap anything, to be clear. I always brought in outside capital. I just did it in a way that was creative, so not involving traditional um, venture funds. So that was, you know, I just, it's more hybrid. It's like halfway between traditional venture and uh, bootstrapping, I would say. And I would classify myself as really scrappy and good at the zero to one stage so getting a business off the ground and i can even get it from like one to two but then to go from two to three or two to four um that's where i just lost the excitement and passion it's so much more fun to like structure the whole business in the mm -hmm. beginning get the first customers have to hustle and have to like grind some people hate that actually i would say most operators hate the early portion and they prefer the scale portion because it's more fun. You have a management team. You could delegate. Um, and for me, I didn't like that side as much. And that's okay. I think the key is to just be do a lot of that self-introspective work and thinking. Like, what am I happy about? What am I good at? And what is that intersection? And I think we create these prisons for ourselves where we think that what we're doing now we must continue to be good at that when actually we have a ton of other options for how we spend our time and you know what our job looks like in five years from now so i think that's another question i like to ask myself like what do i want to be doing a year from now or five years from now um another question we ask ourselves at mawe is if we could um if we could just spend money and bring on more people to make our work even 10% better, where we're working on 10% less stuff that we don't want to do or that we're not good at or that isn't a good use of our time, um, what would we do to get there? And so if you chip away every quarter, you just find a way to get offload another 10%, then it starts to really stack up, and then you become a lot more impactful. Totally. Right, Why don't we – yeah, hi. Um. I think like so can we chat more about like you know what are you doing with um like my way and astonishing labs um because I feel like I don't want to like say something wrong but like from my understanding I feel like they are um, basically you're incubating all the companies in-house to a degree and working with top-notch scientists um and I would love to just like learn from you on like how that works and what are you guys like working on now? Yeah. Um, so after I built in Dinero, um, I started another litigation fintech company. Then I realized that I I could have a firm. I call it Mawe. My last name is Ma, just Ma. Mm -hmm. So uh, Mawe could help support me in uh overseeing these businesses and i realized if i have more businesses that i'm working on we have it's easier to justify having a senior executive in say product who could support and mentor these companies um kind of like a vc firm that has a ton of portfolio companies and i also wanted to have a team that supported me in my entrepreneurial endeavors i knew i'd want to start a third fourth fifth sixth company and I didn't know what I'd want to start those companies in per se, 
um, and stuff that it's been in software, uh, fintech, fintech adjacent businesses and biotech businesses. Um, I'll get into why biotech in a minute, but, um, but yeah, we built this, uh, firm with a bunch of my friends. So people I really love working with people I've known for a long time. Um, and, um, and so that's, that's the premise of Maui. So we're kind of like an incubator. We're kind of like a private equity firm. We're kind of like a VC all combined and they had a baby together. That's essentially what Maui is. Um, and um, I don't like to think of ourselves as like a holding company or a venture studio. Um, the reason for that is because I think a lot of venture studios, they are in search of just coming up with a business to create a business for the sake of creating a business. Whereas for us, I think our perspective is we see so many problems and things that need to be solved that other business uh, minded entrepreneurs are not solving for some reason. And we see the opportunity to prototype it out, recruit an amazing co-founder to work on it. And uh, as a team, solve that problem. Incubators like Y Combinator, I would classify as an accelerator or an incubator. They, they're reactive, meaning that they wait for someone to apply. Whereas for us, we're actually coming up with a lot of these businesses ourselves and or we identify amazing people and we say, hey, let's create something together. What would that look like? Um, one example is my friend Anand, who might be watching this right now. Um, Anand uh, is also a uh, Berkeley grad. And Anand is just a very impressive um, entrepreneur, someone I really clicked with. And we said, hey, we both know a lot about litigation finance, and maybe there's an opportunity for us to build something here together. With my experience, your experience, let's brainstorm what this might look like. And so we took some time to do that, and then we created a company together. And that's just what I love doing. It's just so much fun. It's way better than investing like a normal VC. And also VCs, like, I don't know, I just felt like a lot of VCs don't actually add that much value. They're, if they didn't invest, someone else might have invested. And they like to think that they were the last ones at the table, but that's really the case. Um, and I think operating is great too. Like running a business, being an entrepreneur, I think it's magical and awesome. It's just, I'm not as good at it as I wish I was. So that's how I ended I think up. You're, well. I think you're very humble, but anyway, so how, like, how does this work? So I, I'm just looking at like, um, you know, obviously on your website, there's a lot of like amazing uh, operators and um, it seems like you guys are also kind of like um, you guys have investor relation, which means there will be outside capital coming in. And then you mentioned it's like not a venture studio. You don't really incubate um, ideas or something. I wonder how do you kind of um, like. Um, kind of like how do you kind of monetize this model because you know YC take like YC is essentially like uh, you know they select people and then they invest in them and then uh, that's like one way to monetize by like starting a fund or something but how does this work with uh, you know your team yeah we are not a traditional fund structure um, at first I was just putting in my own capital mm -hmm. and 
then I realized that eventually that doesn't scale. So why don't we bring in other investors to also invest in these companies? So and it's like a more expensive version of a syndicate. Like, you know, if I start a syndicate today, it will be like people invest in like 100K or something top. But like for you, it's like you're uh, getting investors who are investing like a couple hundred million or something. Is that it's like a more extensive version of like a syndicate-ish. Yeah, exactly. So we'll bring people in who just want to back any company that we start. And then we'll also have co-investors who back uh, specific companies depending on what their specialty is. And yeah, I just didn't want to feel locked in and raise a fund. I, I really didn't like that for a whole variety of reasons. And in our structure, I'm a real co-founder on these companies along with whoever else I decide to work with. And, um, you know, we're, we're real partners in the business is how we look at it. I think a lot of venture studios, they're, they're really like business factories. There's no like heart and soul to these businesses where, whereas for me, I'm only doing a handful of these every year. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, last year I only did two and, yeah. and I, I really care deeply about these businesses. So. Um, so that's, that's the monetization model actually have founder stock actually be the founder. Yeah. What about like other investors? Obviously you have like, you know, managing director from like Fortress or like these other like amazing companies to like advise you or like be a partner at your firm. I wonder like, um, how do you, do they also like be a partial co-founder of like whatever you guys are doing or I guess, like, how does, how do you kind of, like, incentivize people? Or if there's um, more on, like, the broader, like, high-level strategic partners, or are they, like, also are kind of, like, co-founder of everything? Yeah, we treat ourselves in a more institutional manner. So we have a bunch of other partners at Mawe, mm -hmm. kind of like how Sequoia Capital or Andreessen will have uh, partners, and then different partners have different specialty areas. So depending on the company, depending on like who the CEO is, it's there's going to be different pairings that make sense. Um, and then I'll support them however they want. But uh, usually we have another partner at Mawe who's um, taking lead um, and more in the trenches with the CEO, I'd say. I guess like what's a ballpark of like uh, investment or slash like like company stake that you would want to take obviously i assume like every company is very different and like based on the i don't know i have no clue <laughs> i'm just guessing yeah every yeah exactly um i mean i'll be i'll be candid like we're we're real founders here so we get founder stakes and everything mm -hmm. um as do our co-founders so you know um so that's that's the kind of ownership we're looking for and if not, then we just be a passive investor and we don't do passive investing. I mean, I stopped doing 50K angel checks because I found it to be unimpactful and boring. And so if someone just wants a quarter million bucks or half a million bucks from us, we're, we're not going to do that because other people could do that. Like, And yeah, maybe we can make money off of it, but I'd rather invest the capital into stuff where we're real co-founders. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I want to like 
Um, I feel like you're amazing at like building a relationship before you need them to a degree. Like, you know, you have um, obviously had like a really amazing um, cohort from like YC as well as like pre-YC founders. And I wonder, like, I guess like, uh, you know, when you were younger, when you were in high school, you would follow like Justin Comfort Day or something. But like, what is the equivalent of like today if someone trying to build like authentic relationship with you? Um, what would you expect them to do to kind of like um, be this non-needy, friendly person who is just like, I don't know, like, I guess like, how do you, um, how would you approach it from like today's like landscape? of like building authentic relationships yeah i'll give you an example i i have uh someone on on our team his name's luca he's absolutely amazing and he's full-time at mawe and a year ago he was graduating from uh ucla and he just reached out and said hey jess um we met six months ago because you were speaking to UCLA students and I was president of the club you spoke at and and I just want to kind of pick your brain about blah 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 and I'm willing to like come to you and just make it really easy in whatever 15-20 minutes so I said okay great my calendar is completely full this week but why don't you come meet me um and then I got to go to the airport. Why don't you just drive with me to the airport? And mm-hmm. then you're just going to Uber back home from the airport when we get there. And uh, and then we became friends. And then I said, hey, why don't you like intern for us for like six months and you'll learn a lot. And he did that. And then that led to him working here full time. So it's just getting creative about like how to find time with people. The I airport got- ride, I learned that from Brad Feld because Brad Feld wrote about this on his, uh, his blog. Brad Feld's uh, one of the partners at Foundry Group. Yeah, um, he was actually in my book a thousand years ago. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah, I he was yeah. like one of the first people I interviewed like ever. But yeah, I really respect oh, him a lot. Um, and by the way, he's passed on different companies of mine three times now, which is pretty oh, funny no. without really taking a serious look. What I respect about him is he's always like, yeah, this is just outside of the scope of what we invest in or look at. So I'm not going to even, you know, ask for a phone call meeting. And uh, but I like loved his content, his blog and and uh, learned a lot from him. And he's got a great book called Venture Hacks um, that kind of talks about venture terms. If, if you haven't read that yet. And, uh, I wonder when you were like earlier in your career like after you meet them let's say like sam altman or whoever from like the yc era how do you stay in touch with them uh it's hard to stay in touch but when yc a lot of there's a lot of overlap like there's like you know the burning man community you know la party (laughs) community so naturally i run into a lot of these people like multiple times a year just through happenstance um and also, I've been just throwing my own parties. So, you know, like I threw a big, you know, Valentine's Day party and Super Bowl party here last week and threw a massive New Year's party where a ton of, you know, well-known famous entrepreneurs came in just for the night. So, hi, what's up? Hi. Hi. Um, sorry. I got like, I always had people in my, random people in my house and moves going crazy. I Ooh. feel like it's the OA thing. Everyone's at yeah. everyone's house. 
but I wonder when I guess like when you're working on your current company like I guess like what's your ben- what's the, like the benchmark or KPI you set for yourself or you just like go with the flow like oh I just spot this like amazing entrepreneur I want to start a company with them or is it more of like a structure behind the thinking and when you were younger like when I was like listening to your interviews from like 10 years ago or something I feel like it focused a lot on like you know you guys were actually or like you were like strategic about like approaching PR or like creating some sort of like backend system for yourself to like network with these like amazing entrepreneurs but I guess like you're at a different stage of your life right now and I wonder like um, how do you approach your new company differently and how do you kind of you know because since you already have a decently successful company under your belt how do you kind of like function now as a um, second time or like third or fourth time entrepreneur I think it's easier because there's this built-in intuition and also failures don't matter as much now like setbacks are like par for the course whereas when I was first building my business every setback felt like the end of the world so I think it's a lot of psychological improvements. But yeah, I do have a lot of structure now. Um, um, uh, did I freeze? Okay, I'm down. No, you didn't freeze. Okay. Oh, I, I was just saying, I do have a lot more structure too in how I think about like who I want to work with and um, what kind of um, you know attributes we're looking for. Um, and, and different companies, different industries require a different type of CEO. So we built our own matrix. We have like a 13 criteria matrix where we basically like, it's like a dial. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, does this company need someone that's more public facing and like charismatic or is it okay if they're more of a a nerdy recluse? You know, I'm just like paraphrasing here, but imagine 13 criteria like that, which which are dials. And then we can measure CEO candidates, co-founder candidates against this criteria for what we think that company needs in order to be successful. And why this is awesome is because it allows us to be objective about who we bring in for business. Whereas when you're a normal VC, you get a deal that comes across your plate. You're, you know, you're, you're, you look at the management team and you're like, how good are they? But you're not necessarily thinking, is this actually the best team for this? If I, if you, if you were to blank out the whole management team slide and just, and just invent the best team slide you could possibly imagine to exist for that company, it's often going to be different from the reality. And in our model, we get to choose what that reality ends up being in a very um, thoughtful way. How do you like is astonishing labs coming from my way or like how do you kind of structure structure them? And also if like let's say like if there's like an operating partner on your team. So basically you're saying like you kind of like put together a team and then you kind of like also invest in them with both like the person's time and uh, assuming you guys are also like fundraising for those specific subjects. And I wonder like how does your company like um work with the operating partner at of the person kind of you kind of like sent to that company? Yeah, um there are no hard and fast rules for a lot of this stuff. Um I like to say that 
everything super organized, but that's just not the case. Um, it, it really depends. So on the bio side, uh, I have a partner named Tom who I love working with and he's taking a drug through FDA approval all the way from the lab um, through FDA approval, then IPO. And he's, he's the partner on any bio deal we do right now. And then he'll have other partners that he recruits. And then on the fintech and software side of things, we've got a bunch of other uh, partners who we could slot in. And for that, it's a bit more of a personality fit. And like, what was their last company that they started? You know, um, so it's they have to have that vertical expertise. What would you say are? I guess like, how do they? Um, do you employ all these like amazing operators under your company, or it's more of like a partnership? You like you take a certain percentage of. Um, whatever they're working on by, you know, creating value such as like recruiting or fundraising, but the person take the majority stake as like they help co-fund. We thing. operate more like a venture fund where we have shared economics. So that way everyone helps every single deal. We don't say, okay, you're going to necessarily benefit more from that one deal that you're on. Um, and it's, it's kind of nice to have it this way. There are pros and cons. So some firms give the partner on a deal extra economics or sole economics. Um, and I'm not saying we wouldn't do that, but we are trying to create a collaborative energy here where, and also it's hard to tell which businesses are going to work out and which will not work out. A lot of this is more luck than we care to admit. I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs like to say, look at how brilliant I am. But in practice, it's like really hard. There's a lot of luck. Um, when you're building your business, so like how does the, so like, I guess like since you guys are, from my understanding, you guys are still privately held. And I guess like how does the investor view like the exit plan? Or like, uh, I don't know, like or yeah. For for what exactly? For Indinero. Oh, okay. So for Indonero and for any Portco, it's just, yeah. Um, I mean, Indonero throws off cash um, and, you know, would could sell or just offer secondary to investors. But I don't think Indonero is looking to go public as an example. Um, I guess, like, how do you manage all these, like, different business endeavors that you are working on now and then I guess like how do you split your time and then what is your quote-unquote like end goal if you have any yeah um both questions are related so I I spend most of my time trying to build out the infrastructure of Maui because if I focus on that then I've got an amazing team and apparatus to support mm -hmm. all of our different um portfolio companies and um Normally, if you're only working on two businesses, mm -hmm. then you are actually dividing up your time and attention. And so both businesses get worse results from you. If you have three businesses, it's even worse. But if you have a firm, like you have your own Mawe, and now you're supporting 10 or 20 or 30 companies, then it might actually be better than if you only worked on one company. So the key is really getting through that, that U-shaped curve which I, I believe we've done. And so, you know, my vision there is to continue to build that infrastructure out and build out MCG, which is 
Maui Consulting Group. It's our own version of having our own McKinsey or BCG, essentially, that we could provide, um, you know, resources and talent and help to any company. So they don't have to hire that person full time. And yet they get a best in class person. Also, what I notice is that a lot of really talented people, they like to work on variety. They like to be able to dabble in different projects. And so to hire them exclusively for one company, it's risky for their career because if the company doesn't go well, then they're toast, right? Mm -hmm. Or so they think, they're like, oh man, like I'm taking a big risk on this venture business um, and I don't get variety. So I'm not gonna learn as much and I'm gonna get bored. And so it's easier for us to track people to Maui and MCG um, than it is for any one company to hire that person full time. Therefore, we will get better talent. And then the companies also save money because they often don't need uh, that, say, chief product officer full time. But if they could have the brilliant thinking of a chief product officer for like a few days a month, they're going to get 80% of what they need for you know, 10% of the cost, um, as I, an example. I wonder, like, um, I have two questions there. One is like, um, how do you kind of like build a differentiation between you and let's say like basically MCG and BCG and like, uh, from like the fundamental of like hiring these people, like who are you hiring? Like what's a differentiation there? And then the other part is like, I think like co why companies have their own employees is because of like, you probably need a lot of time and energy into like specialization into a particular problem. But if let's say you and I both share the same, uh, chief product officer we're not building the same thing like how do we kind of make the most out of that situation like what will there be like some sort of like way that like kind of slows us down because we're like sharing this same resources unless i feel like when you're thinking about a content or like something that's like very stable for every company i feel like yes i definitely feel like there is you could definitely share the same content across like all your portfolio companies but when it comes to like product or like design sure you can have someone who is kind of like giving general guidance but when it comes to like actually building the company day to day um i would assume like you would still have like people outside of the crew to like work on a specific thing for that company though so i'm just curious your thought on that um i think that's the belief that most people have and i think that's the loving belief uh you why know? i believe that because um you a lot of the work a lot of the best work done by someone is done in a very small amount of time from someone who's really good they could Put together a whole strategy and um game plan for how to do something very quickly and efficiently and so and also by working on multiple projects you get better ideas for how to do something than if you're only on one thing and then again you're not going to be able to hire that person if you wanted to so like this is not really this is a false choice like you don't actually have that option is what i'm trying to mm -hmm. say Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with you on like, you know, most and you people can't afford them either, by the way. So yeah, like yeah, the yeah. option of having, you know, Grace, the brilliant, you know, whatever, like, it's not on the table. So it's, 
yeah that's that's kind of the argument here i'm trying to um, make but i guess like how do they spend their time um over like multiple subjects i totally agree with you on like to a certain type of people they would thrive in like you know working on multiple projects especially let's say like you know advertising agency we already seen that working mm -hmm. like or like pr firm or whatever but as for like i guess like when you are um how do you like kind of like recruit the best people into your existing orbit and um when when it comes to like let's say mcg versus like the traditional comparison um what's a different approach of you building up this um firm well mcg's competitor would be like injuries and harowitz or sequoia capital having their own um team um and what's interesting is that most of these folks aren't available for lease like mm -hmm. you can't call Andreessen Horowitz and say hey can you provide one of your designers for me mm -hmm. I'll pay you anything they'll say no you mm -hmm. have to be an Andreessen Horowitz company to be our to have access to this and so you have a bunch of outsourced firms that offer these mm -hmm. services but they don't offer it under one roof it's like very disjointed and the CEO spends a lot of their time having to evaluate all these different vendors we just make it easy because for us we don't have the incentive of just staffing up bodies and therefore mm -hmm. having weaker talent um a lot of those agencies have a serious adverse selection problem where they get very mediocre talent mm -hmm. um and they can't get paid enough to get the best talent um whereas for us we could justify paying top dollar in our model um so um so yeah let's say if you're i guess like when you were thinking about um rebuild the next generation of like a and z or something i kind of feel like um it have to be something very different from the current a6 and z i wonder what's your thought on that and then uh you mentioned like uh you would offer to hire or like having this like expert executive team to like go like to help the portfolio company um i guess like number one is like what's a core differentiation between that and like you know these like super established fund or like are you offering the service as like a service to every company even you didn't invest in them and also or just your portfolio company yeah just your own portfolio I think best in class funds and capital allocators will have to create their own proprietary capability. Um, also because um, the people hired into your own internal Molly consulting group or whatever your funds consulting group is, they know how to work with your style. Mm -hmm. They know how to navigate the personalities and you kind of have a framework for how you like to do things. And um, that's going to be very distinct and unique for each um, allocator and fund. So, um, so I, I, I think, I think you know, it's very expensive to do. So usually, you don't see this until a fund has you know a half a billion or a billion dollars uh, under management. You know, and the companies I've started are worth over a billion dollars, and so. 
you know, and we own a lot of these companies, right? We own most of these companies uh, in aggregate. So it, it just creates, uh, so we have the incentive and we have the ability to uh, invest there. But it takes time too. I mean, you started Molly two years ago, so we're nowhere close to being like where A16C is. Um, but that's, you know, I use that as a good example of what this would look like in a few years from now. Uh, when you are chatting with investors, I guess, like, what are things that do they care about? Or, like, what do they ask you when you are thinking about, you know, when they're thinking about investing with your firm or, like, in your firm? I, I'd say it's different for us because we're not, like, a normal fund. So yeah. again, it's more like a co-invest um, mm -hmm. angle. And I think the biggest question I always get asked is, hey, Jess, how do you decide to work with so-and-so? What's the criteria? And then um, we're also really good at finding amazing people to work with, like extremely qualified, brilliant, kind, cool people. Like they check all these boxes and we consistently do it. So like, what's your method? What's, how do you do that? And, um, and I have this elaborate answer, which is true. Like, okay, we run a search process and we like have a search team that identifies the right people and blah, 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 blah. But if I really distill it down, I think that great people want to work with other talented, great people. And I think a lot of, um, Venture investors have never been an operator before, or they were at a very small scale. So they don't have the real empathy about what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Whereas for me, I obviously have that. I have all the battle wounds and scars. And I I won't give an entrepreneur dirty looks or yell at them for having a rough quarter or for having a setback. And and they could feel that, you know, and um, so it's really just getting to know people on that personal level, I'd say is the the secret. And if if uh, if you're trying to build a fund yourself, how could you attract amazing, at least part time venture partners who have that experience that will go a long way towards getting better deal flow? Um. I wonder when you mentioned like you invest in like two companies last year or something, I guess, like, how did you, can you like walk us through of like a person that you kind of brought on to your um, project and like what, how do you find them or like, how do you kind of like justify they're like overqualified? Cause I think like the overqualified people, um, like I think people have really different like motivations and uh, like, can you, like, I, I guess, like, I'm just trying to understand, like, you know, who are the people that you were thinking are working on this? And then why are they motivated to work on something they're, like, overqualified? Because I feel like a lot of smart people, they want to work on something that's, like, challenging or, like, they have never done before. So everyone is underqualified to a degree, like, when they're, like, starting a company. Uh... Hey guys, could you take this outside? Thanks. Sorry. Um, I 
I think that, yes, everyone's underqualified to some extent. Sorry, I'm giving everyone the stink eye right now. Thanks. Um, so underqualified people are in plenty of supply. You're right. But it's about people. I, I don't like to say underqualified or overqualified. It's more about finding folks who um, they have the right experience and they just want to apply it in a different context. So an example would be they built a huge team. Maybe they have amazing operating shops, but they, they don't have fundraising experience uh, for, you know, at the level that that company needs to be successful. And that's something that my team and I would bring to the table. Or they've been really good at, I'd say that's typically how it looks. They're like great at actually building a company and the substance of the company minus the capital and, uh, you know, some of the other intangibles. Um, does that make sense? That's why I don't like the word underqualified or overqualified. It, that's a, it's a, like an oversimplification. I, I wonder like who are the two people you have like invested slash like co-funded companies with and how do you kind of like spot them? Um, I found them or we found them off LinkedIn, actually. Okay, I almost I almost thought you were you are gonna say I found them on Craigslist, but like whenever I hear Did people not say, find I them off Craigslist. I found some great people off Craigslist, by the way, but I'm I've not found a uh yeah, a co-founder off Craigslist yet. And so what's funny about these two people we found off of LinkedIn is we put together this whole spreadsheet list of like who would be perfect for the role and who's the number one, like, okay, if you could find someone who looks just like this, it would be perfect. And then we'll reach out to them. And then, you know, good chance they're not going to be the right personality fit or they looked good on paper, but they're actually not great. Like when you meet them, well, in for the two companies last year, the first person we called um, on that sheet, like ended up actually being a good fit. And we ended up working with oh. both of them. What is, is uh, like, very cool. Yeah. What's on your checklist and how do you kind of screen them? And then how much of like the signing bonus do they have to have? Like, are you guys going to have like, I don't know, like, I don't know, millions of dollars to like trying to get this person coming out of like a significant role out there? Like, no, it's like this is a startup, you know, we're trying to create something from nothing and and, uh, and then they just quit their job. Do they quit their job and then join you, or how? How does the conversation? Um, in a few cases, these people were on sabbatical, actually, so they weren't like in a. They're not like working at a big company, where they're making millions of dollars a year. That like never happens because those types of people are not startup people by definition. They need to get their ridiculous Google or Apple salary with their health benefits and whatever. Um, they wouldn't even consider this opportunity. So we don't even bother talking to them. And and they're not, they're unlikely to be successful in a startup environment. You know, they need to have a whole team around them. Whereas in a startup, it's just you on day one. Like you're building out your team, right? And, um, you know, one thing we are thinking about is 
uh, a tripod mm -hmm. structure for every company. So if we find the right co-founder CEO, what would be the right two other people to hire alongside that person so that there's like a three person team um, versus it just being like them by, by themselves? Are they more like a second time founder? So like, let's say they already sold a company to, I don't know, Google or something, and then they're chill chilling on sabbatical. Or like, are you looking at like first time founder who just graduated from XYZ school um, and having like patents on super like AI stuff? How do you kind um, of, yeah. Yeah, the Y Combinator structure is look for technically brilliant people who may or may not have ever worked before. Like I had just studied in undergrad when I went into Y Combinator. But for us, um, the types of companies we're building, we're looking for people who've actually built out teams of people and have like driven revenue and a PL um, for a company before. So we are looking for much more seasoned folks. And we believe that through our methodology, we're gonna have a much higher hit rate on what we do. So most VC funds look at a portfolio of like 10, 15, 20 companies. And they're like, look, if 19 of them flame out, but one of them crushes it, then we're doing well. Works for us. We don't, we don't think of it that way. Like we want every single deal to at least be a single where our co-founder will walk away with tens of millions of dollars in a bad scenario. Um, if not, then we will feel really bad about ourselves. That's, kind of how I think about it. Um, have you invest in companies or like um, spend a lot of time with a company and then they didn't really pan out? Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time on a deal that didn't work out, probably putting a half million bucks into the deal. And yeah, um, had to shut it down last year. So, um, you know, I've had a few of those over the years and it's not fun but that's you know no risk no reward right yeah um i wonder what are like the lessons that you've took from investing in that company and i feel like you know i feel like venture to a degree why all these like vc founders are doing what they're doing as like the numbers game play is because it's a high, like you said, it's a high risk, high reward. And then it's essentially a numbers game to a degree. And I wonder um, for the high or higher conviction model, like, you know, even for VCs, they just invest in money, but you have to personally invest time, resources, and literally everything. Uh, I wonder, like, um, how do you make sure that it doesn't, like, fail as much because uh, I think most people invest in multiple companies just to avoid the risk or like to kind of like having uh, a balance like just balance out the risk and I wonder like for the high conviction model like what are things that you feel like do you feel like it's challenging or do you feel like it's because we spend so much time it helps with the company like what's your how do you like kind of like what's your like personal interpersonal conversation to yourself on like starting this model um i think it's a lot less risky i think it's almost guaranteed that we're gonna have better outcomes than other investors because think about it we're real co-founders we have real influence mm -hmm. on these deals what's the downside um we have to work a lot harder 
Like we're not like on vacation all summer long, like every other VC I know is, you know, uh, like there are downsides to this. It's not like a cakewalk. There's more, we're involved in more, you know, company challenges and drama and stuff. And, uh, you know, but we're used to it. I'm used to it. I've been doing this for a long time and, uh, I don't, you know, I don't have other obligations. So, and, and most people on my team also don't have any other obligations. So, um, so yeah. What are the, I guess, like when you were chatting with investors, like, are you approaching the investor who invests in like other top funds or like, I mean, LPs are, are they like other investors of like Sequoia or something, or are they more of like individual investors who are, um, you know, having successful asset and then they believe in you because they have like started the company around the time that you started your company. I guess like how do you approach, uh, you know, building out this like ecosystem for Maui? A lot of them are friends, people I've just known through social circles. Um, and um, I'd say that's like the majority um, just because there's like high trust, right? And we know each other and they've had time to understand how my model works and get to know some of the people I work with. Um, I'd say that's the majority of the folks we end up co-investing with. Um, I feel like let's say you have let's say the first company you invest in did not like go well how do you like I guess like how do you what does your like mentality look like to I mean I, my biggest fear is like oh if like my friends invest with me and then I lose all their money and then I would never have friends ever again I wonder what's your like mental model in terms of like dealing with risk well that's why I reprioritize bringing people in for deals only if they're willing to back all the deals. Cause if they try to be selective and pick one or the other, it's going to be a crapshoot and they might pick a loser. So I don't like to send people those deals, you know, that's my model. It's like, you're going to back everything or most things or like, or like invest at your own risk. Um, would you, know? you, yeah, for sure. I guess like, would you feel like so when you are personally investing in other companies when you're writing uh back in time i assuming you probably write some like angel checks or some other sort of investment um what are the things that you've learned from investing in your own money into different deals i've learned that um b2c deals um almost never work out <laughs> they're very very painful and difficult um, I've learned that repeat founders always do so much better. Um, it's like, like if you look at my winners and my losers, my losers are almost always first time founders and my winners are almost always repeat founders. Mm. Um, we add a reason money on higher valuations, but it's always worth the Delta. Um, other things I've noticed, um, if they haven't thought through their revenue model, their business model, and if they don't have a high uh, ARPU, so average revenue per user or per uh, per company, if they're B2B, then they tend to struggle because they can't justify their sales and marketing motion. Um, 
what else? Um, I think founders who demonstrated being like truly exceptional for, you know, most of their careers is something else that makes sense to look for. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are like the high level uh, thoughts in summary. I'd say I also like looking at the team they recruit, like who are the people around them? Like, are they able to bring in people smarter and better than them? Or do they have a limiting belief of the CEO is going to be the best person on the team? I've, I've met so many investors who think you as the founder and CEO, you will do a better job than anyone you can hire. And I really don't like that quote. I really mm -hmm. hate it because I think it's just not true. Um, obviously, people will disagree with me. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of nasty comments here like, Jess, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, that's fully okay. Like, I was not the best CEO for my company. There's definitely someone better than me on every single executive role. That's why you hire executives. Um, and um, so, yeah, I want to see, like, what kind of people they, they're able to attract around them. Um, I guess, like, when you're thinking about the super technical founder. So I have two questions around that. One is, like, when you're thinking about, like, the second time founder, do they have to be... Can they be like super seasoned operators? Let's say if they're like the, um, I don't know, chief blah officer, let's say chief product officer at blah, blah, blah company and then blah, blah, blah company did really well, but they're not the founder. Uh, they're maybe one of the first like 10 employee or something versus like, you know, the, you know, the repeat founder. And then how do you kind of like get into the repeat founder deals? Because I think that could be just oversubscribed at all times. Yeah, the repeat founder deals are always very quickly subscribed. So he used to like actually be friends with them and hear about them starting a company months before they end up starting the company. Um, and do you hire like a chief product officer who was like a early hire, but not the CEO or an invest in that person? Yeah, absolutely. Those people do really well also, I find. As long as they built out a team before, they have that real... Um, management experience. Um, they don't do as well as people who've been in the co-founder or president or CEO seat or first hire seat, but um, but they do better than the other first-time entrepreneurs, I find. What do you think of like the highly technical founders? Like maybe they're great at like recruiting technical talents, but uh, in terms of being a CEO, they're like newbies. I wonder like, do they turn out to be going okay or like what are some characteristics that you would look for when you are investing in them or not or or not investing in them um it's been a crapshoot for me on the on the highly technical founders because they're typically really smart brilliant um and some of them figure out how to be good ceos too but or they get lucky, they have a great technology and they can sell the company and um, make money in spite of the fact that they never learned how to build a real company. Um, but um, I still try to figure out like how good are they at team building because that's ultimately going to be the tell on if they're going to succeed or not. Um, by team building, do you mean like, can they find like a counterpart who are able to do things that they hate to do? Or do you mean by like, um, 
I, I guess like recruiting other smart people but like uh i guess like to a degree because i feel like it's really hard to tell if they have that ability because i think everyone can hire people when they have money or like tapping into a trend like ai or something it's easier to hire because like everyone wants to work at one of those companies but i guess like when at the early stage how do you tell if someone could be like equipped with this like ability or like uh do they like yeah how do you kind of evaluate these abilities you could just like talk to people on their team like actually say hey could i meet them and talk to them um and you know see if they have complementary skill set that's what i would do um do you think you can't afford to do this if you're doing 25k checks like you only afford to do this if you're like a true institutional investor Mm -hmm. um and so that's why like i don't really do these deals anymore like people email me deals and all the time and just like i don't I don't enjoy doing 25k 50k checks anymore and I'm not set up to do half a million or million dollar checks since I'd rather just start more companies through my way. So um so you gotta kind of commit to which path you're on. When I I guess like another thought is like, you know, you have built really like a lot of relationships like with like people that are right now really impactful in the ecosystem. Um, I guess, like, who would you consider as your personal board of advisors? And then when you started your own firm, like, since it's, like, a very different venture model or, like, like firm, like, I guess, like, from, like, a, how the fund is operated and stuff, who do you, like, bounce off ideas with? Um, it's always different. I have, like, so many different friends and folks I, I bounce ideas off of. But someone I've been spending a lot more time with is my friend Peter Diamandis, who um, I think the world of, he's just such a bold visionary thinker. And he started XPRIZE and Abundance 360 and uh, Singularity University. So he's one example of someone I, I talk to regularly. Um, I really I really enjoy um, my mentorship from Eric Schmidt, who was CEO of Google. And I've known him now for I don't know, five years we've been friends. And so he's really helped me a lot with my thinking and just giving me, uh, you know, encouragement to power through and work really hard. And um, and I've had, you know, hair on fire issues where I just pick up the phone and call either of them and say, hey, what should I do? Um, so folks like that. How do you kind of like, maintain the relationship with them and then what do you think they get out of you i feel like in venture like um being in silicon valley for so long i think when people really favor it's like younger generation like how do you kind of um like when you are currently i assume like a lot of younger people are trying to build a relationship with you um how what would you suggest them to do besides like you know i i think the for example the person on your team who would follow you to the airport but i guess like i feel like staying in touch is also another challenge let's say like you can't hire every person who like you have a 15 minutes conversation with how what are like some really authentic way for people to reach out to like an executive and like kind of like offer value both way um, I think a lot of 
executives and successful entrepreneurs aren't looking for anything. So the only way to have an authentic relationship is to have an authentic friendship and relationship. And so how do you do that? You create a multidimensional life for yourself. So in my case, I became friends um, with like Eric and Peter in this example, because I have my pilot license and I fly my own jet for fun. And both of them also have their pilot licenses and fly their own airplanes for fun. So we had that in common and we could just talk about that and I don't need anything from them. They don't need anything from me, but we just like have common hobbies and shared interests. Um, we all go to Burning Man. That's another area of commonality. We all like looking at very bold and crazy projects. Um, we all have an interest in bio and longevity and aging science. Um, so I think my advice is make yourself a more interesting person to be friends with. And uh, that's actually the key to having better, you know, relationships that actually stay in touch with you. Because they already about- know all the people who add value. They already know the best people in the world for it, for solving all the problems in their lives, you know? So there's really nothing you can do on that front. Um, But what about like, you know, if you're like right now you're decently successful and then you can, you know, flying private jet for fun. But like, let's say if you're like the 10 year younger than who you're currently saw, like basically you're like 25, like 20 years younger or like 15 years old younger. Um, at that point, how do you do it? Like from like an authentic level as you probably don't have the same hobby with, uh, you know, the CEO of Google. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Um, it's been a long time for me, Grace. Um, I I think earlier on in my career, a lot of my mentors were people just one step ahead of me. So I was just starting my company. My mentors had five or seven employees. Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, he really helped me a lot over the past 15 years I've known him. When I met him, he had five employees. I had no employees. He's way more successful than I am. He's like way smarter and harder working in everything that I'm not. But he was one step ahead of me. And so he just wanted to support me. Um, and we were both in Y Combinator. So, you know, it's just kind of giving back. And, um, and then when I had like, 10 employees or 20 employees, I went to people who had 50 employees or 100 employees. And the value change there was, you know, I collected a lot of people who needed jobs, but I didn't need to hire for those roles. And I could send those candidates over. I also knew a lot of investors, but I wasn't fundraising or they weren't a fit for me, but I knew they'd be a fit for the person who had 50 or 100 employees and they had to go fundraise again. So I said, look, I'll help you with all these intros. I know XYZ people who will be a good fit for you. Um, And um, I also organized a lot of entrepreneur dinners. So I put together this group called Badass Female Founders. And I threw like mixers and trips and stuff. So that was an excuse to get people to come together and hang out socially without necessarily having to talk about business. Um, So that's what I would do. Or that's what I did do. I think like, yeah, I feel like you, 
Obviously, okay. So I want to be mindful of the time. I want to yeah, just come to hop here soon. Okay, I have a one like one minute fire round for you. Sure. Okay, what's your favorite book? Um, my favorite business book is The Outsiders by William Thorndike. It talks about capital allocation and how you don't need to be the operator to do really well financially. Uh, who will you invite to your dinner party? Who would I like to invite to my dinner party? Who hasn't been to one of my dinner parties already? <laughs> yeah. Um. Hmm. I would love to have Steve Schwartzman, who started Blackstone, um, over for dinner. Uh, who made the biggest impact in your career? Oof, probably Paul Graham, who started Y Com. Uh, who would you? Uh, well, where will we find you outside of work? Where will you find me after work? Outside of work. Outside of work. Um, you'll find me probably in my hot tub. Oh my god! You still own a hot tub after your entrepreneurial journey? But anyway. Yeah, I, I have a much bigger and nicer hot tub now. Amazing. <laughs> uh, hi, Jess. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Grace. I'll catch you soon. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let me end.